Well, good morning. I uh, hope you are doing well. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Jonas Larkin, and I am the South Wilson campus pastor. And if uh, that sounds like news to you, it's because it is new. <laughs> this is my second week on the job, and so uh, things are getting started interesting here. But uh, I would invite you, if you would, just go ahead and turn or scroll in your, your Bible or on your app to Psalm 96. That's where we're going to be this morning. In our time together. And uh, as you're turning there, uh, I'll, I'll start like this. Back, I think it was back last October, um, I walked into the South Wilson uh, building and uh, there was kind of two things that I noticed when I first walked in. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you've never been there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and paint the picture for you. Uh, but as soon as you walk in, there, there's a hallway down the center aisle and there's kind of two walls on either side of that hallway. And so uh, on one of those walls, there are uh, three big words that, that hopefully, uh, if you've been around here for a while, you've seen these words, right? It's, it's love, live, and lead. Okay? And so what those words do is they, they sort of make up uh, sort of a condensed bullet point version of uh, our mission statement here at Valley Creek. And so um, I actually wrote it down because I'm learning it. And plus, I think it's good for us to just be reminded of. So uh, I have it here. This, this is our, our mission statement as a church. It says that we exist to love God as he desires and others as he commands in order to live out our faith in practical ways so that we might lead others to the life-changing presence and power of Jesus Christ. Right, so uh, ideally, like you've heard that language used around here and you will continue to use that. Um, and that's what we want to be about here at Valley Creek. Right? We want to love, we want to live, we want to lead. Uh, and so that statement kind of builds uh, that out. But on the opposite side of that wall, over at the South Wilson campus, and, and this sign also uh, hangs out here in the, uh, the lobby area, uh, there's this outline of kind of a world map, sort of a silhouette type of, of uh, design uh, with, with a scripture reference on it. Um, and it's a reference to Matthew chapter 28, uh, what we call the, uh, the Great Commission, or what the Bible would call the Great Commission. And so, again, let me, I'm going to read that to us just so we're all on the same page. This is Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, the reason I bring sort of that passage up and, and those things up is uh, in, in that, in those verses in particular, we see the mission of the church at large. So we have our mission statement as Valley Creek, but then we also have uh, our mission like mandated by, uh, by Jesus, our mission in the world. And this is for, for every church that's ever existed, and it's uh, to make disciples. So, so every church that has ever existed, um, this is our mission statement to make disciples, right? Not, uh, not to make converts, though that is, uh, that's the first step in making a disciple. Um, our, our goal is not just to, to draw a crowd, though we certainly want to reach as many people as we can with the good news of Jesus. Uh, but, but our goal is to make disciples, right? And so, uh, the kind of the, the churchy word that we would use uh, to describe that process is discipleship. 
Okay, and so over the next uh, few weeks, we are going to talk a little bit about discipleship and, and what that process looks like. And it's essentially just um, the process of us growing in our knowledge of God and his word and, and living in obedience to that. And so uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit over the next few weeks and really um, kind of more long term build out some, uh, some processes for what discipleship would look like here at Valley Creek, so that so that we might engage in that. If it is the mission of the tr- of the church, that we should we should engage in that. And so we're going to uh, move that direction in the next few weeks. But I want to start this morning, kind of kind of backing into that a little bit, or maybe uh, I guess a better way to say it is uh, we want to start talking about discipleship just with the end in mind. Like, what is the end goal of discipleship? And so. To do that, we're going to be in Psalm 96. Uh, I'm going to read just the first few verses here. So uh, Psalm 96, starting in verse 1. The psalmist writes, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, he is to be feared above all gods. All right, so if you uh, read on into uh, Psalm 96, what you'll see is, uh, is the rest of the psalm really just kind of builds out those first four verses. Right? It kind of adds some, uh, some, some meat to the bones, if you will, of, of what is being said in those first four verses. But the central theme of the entire psalm is really kind of summarized in verse 9. Uh, and it starts where the, the psalmist writes, Worship the Lord. Right? This is the point of Psalm 96, and really this is the point of discipleship. Right? The end goal of discipleship is that uh, we would worship the Lord. Right? So yes, discipleship is a process of growing in our, our knowledge of God and growing in our knowledge of His Word, uh, but, but discipleship is more than just acquiring knowledge in our minds. Like It's meant to, uh, to move our hearts toward God in worship. Right? If, if all we do is just acquire uh, knowledge, but it, uh, it doesn't actually uh, penetrate our hearts and, and change and transform our hearts uh, to uh, loving God and loving others, then, then it's, it's really not complete. Right? Discipleship, the goal of it, uh, the, the goal that we are working towards as we make disciples is that we would love and worship God. In fact, that's uh, kind of how I would connect it back to our, our mission statement here at Valley Creek is... Um, it would also be appropriate, I think, to say that the goal of discipleship um, and our most essential act of obedience to God is that we would love Him. Right? Remember the first line of the mission statement is that we would love God as He, uh, as he desires. Okay? In fact, this is, uh, if, if you look back in the Old Testament, this is uh, what the Israelites, uh, this, this verse or this uh, prayer that they would repeat often, uh, you, you see it kind of repeated throughout Scripture, and it's found in Deuteronomy 6. Verses 4 and 5, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Right? And so like, this is our goal, that we would love God with everything that is in us. Right? And, and that, that's not just an Old Testament idea. This is what Jesus says in the New Testament. He's uh, confronted one day, and he's asked what the greatest commandment is, and he responds in Matthew 22, verse 37, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So 
But there's no doubt that, that loving God and worshiping Him is our most uh, essential duty. In fact, our, our love um, is expressed in our worship towards God. Right? So uh, here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to spend a few minutes kind of pulling a few things from Psalm 96 uh, about our worship uh, of God. So the first thing I want us to see is uh, the, the object of our worship. All right, the object of our worship. So in Psalm 96, uh, the first four verses that we read earlier, um, the Lord is referred to either explicitly or, uh, or, or implicitly uh, nine different times. Okay, and so some of those are references to, uh, they direct us to do something to the Lord, like sing to the Lord or uh, bless his name. But then the other references tell us something about the Lord. So we read about his salvation and his glory and his Marvelous works and his greatness. And so the point is really clear that God is to be the object of our worship. Right? And again, back to verse 9, if there's any doubt in that, that's what uh, the psalmist writes, that we worship the Lord. Like he's the object of our worship. So my guess is that's not a surprise to you. Okay? You. Uh, probably clicked on a link or clicked on a video to join us today because uh, you had intentions or, or a desire to join us as we worship the Lord. Right? When we gather here in person at this campus or over at South Wilson, when we gather, you um, probably show up knowing that we're going to worship the Lord together. Like We're going to sing about the Lord. We're going to pray to the Lord. We're going to open His Word and, and receive it and respond to it. Right? Um, even... And even if you're uh, you, like you show up on a Sunday and, and, and it's just you don't even make a conscious decision uh, to, to be here to worship, maybe it's just part of your routine, uh, or maybe let's be honest, maybe you're uh, younger and you show up because mom or dad brings you here, you still show up knowing that we're going to worship. So this is not uh, probably not news to you. But uh, my point is that even though like we we know that God is to be the central object of our worship, the reality is, is sometimes we, uh, we have a tendency to elevate other things or, or lesser things uh, to be our objects of worship. Right? Things that were never meant to be central in our worship, we elevate those things, and those become, become the things, whether they're people or they're uh, just objects, things that, that we elevate to this position of worship in our lives. And this is what Paul writes in Romans 1, he, he talks about this very thing when he says uh, that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature or, or the created thing rather than the creator. Right? Like, like we all have, have sinful bents in our hearts or sinful inclinations and, and so we're all prone at different times to elevate things that aren't God to a position that God alone deserves. Right? There's a, a quote from uh, John Calvin, he's a, a 16th century pastor and theologian, and he once wrote that, that our, our hearts, so the human heart, is a perpetual idol factory, right? which is to say that, that we are always worshiping something, right? and, and because of the, the sinfulness of our hearts at times, like we're in a constant battle of choosing to worship God or, or choosing to worship something else. And so rather than just leave that as like a, like a general statement, I thought it might be helpful to give us some... Uh, just some examples, some tangible examples of things that we often turn to in worship uh, other than God. And so the first thing I, 
I wrote down here is just money. Right? Money in and of itself is not a bad thing. But uh, oftentimes it's, uh, it's the, the thing that becomes an object of our worship. And so when money becomes the, the motivator right, of, of every decision we make or it becomes kind of the lens through which we filter uh, our lives and, and decisions through, um, that means money has become an object of worship for us. And so we'll do things like work an obscene amount of hours right, just to get more money. Or we'll sacrifice things like family and, and friends, uh, even church family, for the sake of, of getting more money. Okay, or, or on the flip side of that, uh, worship, worship of money can look like, like when we actually have some money, like refusing to live generously, right? Out of fear that we might lose some of that money and not get it back. Like this is what it looks like to worship money. Right now, again, money is a necessary tool. Like you have to have it to live in, uh, in this world that we're in, but, uh, but it is just a tool. It is a, it is a terrible God and it is not worthy of our worship. Right, so we've got money is something that we worship. Uh, another thing I wrote that, uh, that we can worship is relationships. Right, again, we are relational beings. Right, this is by God's design. Uh, but what happens is sometimes we can place um, expectations on other people, other human beings. We can put expectations on them that they were never meant to have. Right, so when we, uh, here's what worship of, of relationships look like. When we Expect another human being to be our ultimate source of security or satisfaction or comfort or healing. Like when we place those expectations on another human, right? We're effectively, we've effectively asked that person to fulfill a role that only God can fulfill. And so when we elevate other people and expect them to fulfill those things in us, like we're worshiping them, right? Now, again, relationships are good. They're a gift from God. Our, our spouses, our children, our, our friends, our church family, like these are good relationships. But, but any relationship with another human being, right, that, that like us is sinful, right, when we place on them um, expectations that only God can fulfill, we're, we're crushing that person. And, and listen, we're setting ourselves up to be disappointed. Because as good as our relationships are, and as good as, as a gift as they are, um, the people that we, we often elevate to this position of worship, like us, they're, they're sinful human beings. They're, they, like, whoever you might be prone to worship, like, they will let you down. They will let you down. And so relationships are a gift, but they are a terrible God. Right? Um, here's another one. Um, Andrew even kind of mentioned this earlier. Right? One that we see just running rampant in the world today is, is politics. Right now, um, part of me feels like I don't need to say a whole lot right here. But, but then when I think back to uh, the things that we saw and read about earlier this week, um, even, even going back months and months leading up to uh, the, the election last fall, like it's, it's shocking to me how many people place their ultimate hope and trust in um, politicians and, and political parties. Right? They've, they've become objects of worship even among professing believers, right? Now, um, regardless of what side of the aisle you fall on, if, if you even would say you fall on one side or the other, um, it, it is a dangerous thing, a dangerous thing to put all of your hope and all of your trust 
and all of your sense of purpose uh, in a human institution like a political party. Right now, listen, get involved as much as you can, right? Uh, in healthy ways, of course. Stay informed as best you can in this sort of biased, media-driven world that we live in. But, but man, we, we never, we want to never put our worship in parties and institutions uh, that, uh, we never want to worship those things in place of the one who gives them the authority that they have in the first place. Right? He alone is worthy of our worship. Um, just another one, and this is kind of trivial, but I think it lands on us here in Kentucky, maybe in a, in a special way, um, is sports. Right? So, um, and full disclosure, I love sports. Right? I am particularly fond of the University of Kentucky, and I'm one of the weird UK fans that likes football just as much, if not more, than basketball. Um, like, I'll schedule my Saturdays around a UK football game. And so um, the problem with that is that UK traditionally is not great at winning football games. And so a couple years ago, um, my wife, Kelly, she pointed out to me that like after Kentucky would lose a football game on Saturday, which happened pretty often, that, that my, my mood would change, right? which is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It, it revealed that, that in some way, like my uh, my happiness and joy and satisfaction was dependent on a group of college age guys, college age guys running around with a ball. Like it sounds ridiculous and it is, but, but how often do we, we like look to things like sports as our objects of worship, right? They become a source of joy and, and, and happiness and, right? And, and again, sports are not bad, but they can become an idol, right? It, um, whether it's, whether it's we seek satisfaction in, in something we watch on TV or, or maybe it takes the shape of us like organizing our entire lives around sports so that uh, little Johnny might have a better shot of being a Division I athlete. Right? We, can, we can worship sports. And, and we could go on and on and on. There's a million different things that can become objects of our worship. But, but the point is that man, God alone is worthy of our worship. And anything that we elevate to that position, right, is, is an idol that we've created and it should be repented of, right? So, uh, moving on. So we got God as the object of our worship, but the next thing that I think the psalmist draws our attention to is the content of our worship, right? So, um, this is what he writes in verse one again. He says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. So what the psalmist writes is that our worship is a song, but it's not just any song. It's a new song, okay? Um, now, we often equate the word worship with music, and uh, although worship is, is more than singing, like it en- encompasses a lot more than just the songs we sing, like there's no doubt that singing is a part of our worship. The Bible commands us dozens and dozens of times to sing to the Lord, like to sing songs of worship and praise to Him. Um, and so... Uh, I think it's important for us to know like why he commands us to do that. And so if you like kind of follow the narrative of scripture, um, particularly in the Old Testament, what you'll see is that that God's people are a singing people like they sing a lot. Um, and I like to sing. I walk around my house singing all the time. I get on my family's nerves, um, but, but I'm down with that. But uh, for the people of Israel, what would happen is is uh, as you read through the Old Testament, there's there's moments in 
kind of the, the narrative of Scripture where God would do something in a powerful way and then their response would be to worship. So, so God would, just one example is uh, in Exodus 14, you have sort of this re- recounting or this retelling of uh, the people of Israel being delivered from slavery, uh, being delivered from the hand of the Egyptians. And it's like the very next, uh, very next chapter, chapter 15, like they break out into song. Right? They're, they're remembering God for what he uh, is, is doing, right? And it's, the point is that, like when we talk about singing a new song, the point is that we, we are singing or we are acknowledging God's work in our lives, like here, actively in the moment, right? Because God is always at work in our lives. So, so when we sing a new song, we are praising and worshiping God for what he is actively doing, right? So, uh, which kind of leads me to this question that I want you to, to think about this morning is, what is God doing in your life right now that compels you to respond to Him in worship? Like, like what, what is He up to? How has He revealed Himself? How is he, what has He shown uh, Himself to be in your life that would like, compel you to respond in worship? All right, so maybe... Uh, Maybe you need a little bit, a little bit of, of help with that this morning. Because um, if, if we're honest, like sometimes it's a challenge for us to be aware of what God is doing in the here and now. And so uh, I thought, I mean, what if we just consider the things that we like, take for granted? Right? So just kind of these, these foundational things that, that oftentimes we just assume, we take for granted each day. And so uh, what about things like His grace? I mean, God's grace lavished on us. Right. Every moment of every day, God is lavishing His His grace on us. Like we don't deserve it, but He gives it to us. Things like His mercy. Right? It's, it's new every day. That's what uh, the passage in Lamentation says. That, that every morning when you wake up, God's mercy towards you is is new. Right? I mean, the reality that God has lavished us in grace and mercy, like that, should drive us to worship Him. Okay? Or even even more tangible or more practical what about just his everyday provision right like I mean God provides for us he sustains us moment by moment day by day the fact that you are uh, watching this video right now is evidence that God has sustained you and so that should even though we assume it uh, oftentimes like that should drive us to worship for what God has done and continues to do in our lives actively here and now moment by moment day by day. But I also think it's important for us to be reminded that, that God is at work even when we don't know it, right? even when we're not aware of it. Uh, I think last week we sang the song Waymaker, and there's that line in there about how uh, e- even though we don't know that God's working, even we don't see that He's working, and we don't feel that He's working, like God is very much at work in our present. Uh, John Piper uh, once wrote, I, I got a quote here, he says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. Right? Like that should, should be a good reminder for us, right? That even when we don't see everything that God is doing presently, like we, we know by, by His Word, we know that God is at work here and now. And so, um, like Pastor Scott and, and Micah reminded us a couple weeks ago that hindsight's 2020. So, most of us can look back at uh, previous moments in our lives and we can see these moments where, uh, where now we're removed from it. We can see, oh yeah, God was working there. He was, 
This is what he was bringing about. This is what he was doing. This is what he was accomplishing. I didn't see it in the moment, but now I know it, right? But it's good for us to be reminded that that moment that we look back on now, it's in the past. Like At one time, that was in the present. And so and even when we don't see that God is working and moving and, and accomplishing something right now, like we, we should be motivated by faith to worship God for what he's doing here and now actively, even if we're not fully aware of it. All right, so, so God is the object of our worship. He is deserving of worship for what he uh, does for us here and now actively. And uh, that kind of brings me to the, the third thing I want to point out this morning, and that is the, the witness of our worship. Right, the witness of our worship. Look again at verses 2 and 3. Psalmist writes, Sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. Okay, so, um, earlier I, I tried to kind of connect this idea of worship to, uh, to this idea of love. Like, like worship is just an expression of our, our love for God. And so, Kind of thinking through this, this filter of love, uh, here's what I found to be true of love and, and what you've probably found to be true as well, is that our love is not complete until it's expressed. Right? Our love is not complete until we have uh, sort of uh, expressed it. Or, or maybe a, a better way or a more simpler way to phrase that is just we, we talk about the things that we love. Right? We talk about the things that are important to us and that matter to us. Uh, we can't help it. So whether it be maybe a person that you love or a TV show or a song or a band or a sports team, uh, whatever. Like you talk about the things that you love. Like when that thing comes up in conversation, you lean forward in your seat and your eyes light up and you're ready to engage because you love it, right? Our love is incomplete until it's, uh, it's expressed. And so um, this is also true in our love and worship of God. Right? Our love and worship is, is incomplete until we've expressed it. All right? And that's, that's the point in, in these two verses, verses two and three, right? That we would, we're, we're called to um, worship him, but, but in that we're called to tell of his salvation, right? To declare it, to express it, to, uh, to declare his glory among the nations. So Psalm 96 directs us like upwards in worship to God, but it also directs us outward. Right? Our worship should overflow um, in, in, into the, the world that surrounds us. Like Our worship is not meant to be this sort of individualized, private thing. Now, there are, there are components of our worship that are. right. We're told to, to go into our secret room or into our closet and pray. Uh, we're told to, to keep things uh, private, like fasting. Right? We, we don't want to uh, kind of display those things just to make a big scene. But, but there are times when our, our worship should also overflow into an expression that um, the world around us would, would see and take note of. And so it kind of reminds me of uh, a couple of passages in the book of Acts. Um, earlier I read from Matthew chapter 28, and there's a, a parallel passage to that in the book of Acts. And um, it's after Jesus' death and his resurrection and, and just before he ascends to heaven. Uh, in Acts 1.8, he tells his disciples this. He says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so um, 
as a result of God's work in and through them, like his, his disciples were compelled outward, right, to, uh, yes, first there in Jerusalem, but, but ultimately to the ends of the earth. Like they're compelled outwards um, in um, like their, their overflow of their worship. They're comp- compelled outwards to the world around them. And so all through the book of Acts is just this recounting or this retelling of the disciples going forth and their worship overflows as they, they tell about the gospel and they tell about Jesus, talk about Jesus to, uh, to kind of the known world at that point in time. Uh, and actually in, in Acts 4, there's this sort of powerful scene that I think illustrates this idea of our, our worship sort of overflowing. And uh, it involves Peter and John, the disciples of Jesus, and they are standing before this uh, council of religious leaders. And what happens is if they've been charged uh, to stop talking about Jesus, to stop spreading the gospel. And, and so they're standing before the council, and, and the council says, hey, you've got to stop what you're doing. And their response in uh, chapter 4, verse 20 is this, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, like their worship of God for what he had done in and through Jesus Christ, like their worship, like they could not contain it. Right? They could not help but talk about what they had seen, what they had experienced, what they knew to be true. And so their worship overflowed in their, their witness to uh, the world around them. And this this should be true of us. Right? Our worship and love of the Lord should, uh, should overflow in such a way that it flavors like all of our speech and all of our conduct with the world around us. Right? So like the disciples, like we are sent on mission, whether it's, it's here in E-Town, uh, Hardin County, or and wherever, like whatever places you inhabit. Right? You are there by design. And, and it's, part of that is that that your worship of the Lord would overflow so that the people around you, so the people around you would, would know who this God is and what he has done for them in Christ, right? So whether it's your, your families or your neighbors or your coworkers or just whoever is in your kind of your sphere of influence, like you have a role to play in seeing men and women and children place their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, for the hope of eternal life, that they might join you in worshiping God. Right, so here's how we'll kind of, kind of wind down a little bit this morning. I want to give you uh, just kind of three questions for you to think about, meditate on, consider this week. Um, and, and so here, here's the first one, right? Who or what are you worshiping? Who or what are you worshiping? Because like I said earlier, we are always worshiping something or someone. Like we were created to worship. And so, again, because of our sinful bent, some of our sinful inclinations, we're going to, sometimes we don't always worship as we should, right? We, we bring idols into our lives and we elevate those things to a point of worship. And so, um, what are you worshiping or who are you worshiping? All right, so... That can be a difficult thing to kind of uh, diagnose for ourselves. And so what I, I thought is, is maybe wrote down a few things here. Um, listen to your words this week. Like, what do you talk about? Right, what about uh, pay attention to, to the things that, that you give your time and your, your energy and your effort to? Right, maybe um, invite uh, someone that knows you, whether it's a family member or a good friend. Invite them to, to tell you, hey, what are some things that you notice in my life that I uh, give my attention to, my time to, my 
love to you? What, what do I talk about? Right? Invite that feedback into your life so that you might see what are some things that you worship. Right? And when you find something other than God that you worship, and you, you probably will, right? repent, ask the Holy Spirit to just reorient your heart and your mind to worship the Lord as He deserves. Because the good news of the gospel is that even when we are faithless, even when, when we've uh, worshipped things other than the Creator, like He is faithful. Right? We, we read that later on in, in Psalm 96, that He's faithful. Um, the good news is that even when we are faithless and we worship other things, God is faithful, and through Christ, He forgives us of our sin, He forgives us of our idolatry, He forgives us of our mis, uh, misprioritized worship, and He restores us uh, into a right relationship with Himself. So, what are you worshiping? Right, the other question I have for you to think about this week is, what is God doing in your life right now? And again, sometimes that's hard for us to see, but um, as you go about your life this week, just what if you stop to consider what God might be doing? Right, consider where He has placed you, right, how He has sustained you, how He has provided for you. Um, and when you wake up, consider the, the reality from His Word, the reality that His mercies are new every day, that His grace is sufficient for everything that you will face this week. Right? That is what God is actively doing in your life, and even more than that. So um, write it down if you have to. What, whatever you need to do to remind yourself of how God is actively at work in your life right now. So, so what is God doing in your life right now? And the third question I want you to consider is this. To whom is God calling you to tell of his salvation? Right? Those are the words that came straight from uh, verse 2. Of the psalm, right? Who is God calling you to tell of his salvation? So the reality is that most of us are not going to be foreign missionaries, right? We can support them by prayer and, and financially. Uh, most of us are not going to go out to the ends of the earth to, to preach the name of Jesus to people who haven't heard it. But uh, as followers of Christ, we've all been placed where we are, like by God's design. design. This is what I, I said just a minute ago. So the people in our homes, the people in our, our neighborhoods, our communities, our workplaces, our schools, like these are people, men, women, children, students. Uh, these are people that, that by God's design, he has put us in close proximity to so that the overflow of our worship might result in those people coming to join us in worship for what God has done for us in and through Jesus Christ. So to whom is God calling you to tell of his salvation? Right? Or maybe, maybe there's just the far off chance like you're listening to this uh, and you need to be told of his salvation. Right? I, I don't think it's by accident that you're watching this video right now. Right? I think um, that God has brought you to this moment that you might hear of the good news of the gospel. And, and that is just this, that, man, God has... Uh, he has provided a payment for your sin. Your sin separates you from God, but because of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, right, you can receive the forgiveness of your sin, the hope of eternal life by placing your trust in Jesus. So uh, if that's you, right, 
I would invite you to respond here in just a moment. There's going to be some ways on the screen uh, for you to respond. I know it's, we're in this weird sort of virtual format, um, but if there's something that you need to, uh, to talk about, if there's something you want to pray about, if there's uh, some sort of conversation that you need to have or need to start this morning, there are ways for you to do that, uh, and those will be on the screen. So uh, as we close this morning, as we get ready to sing another song, we just invite you and remind you right, to worship this week. Right? Our worship is not, uh, it's not just located here inside of a church building or wherever you might be uh, tuning in this morning. Right? Our worship is not just a one day a week thing. It is, the, it is all of our lives. Right? As, as followers of Christ, all of our lives are an act of worship. So let's worship the Lord as he deserves this week. As he desires this week, let's make him the object of our worship. Right? Let's uh, let's worship him for what he's doing here and now in the present, and let's let that worship overflow in ways that the people around us would know, come to know, the Lord that we worship. So let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning, and we thank you that we have a reason to worship, and we have many reasons to worship, but the. The ultimate reason, the, the primary reason, the foundational reason is the salvation that you have offered to us in and through Jesus Christ. So Lord, if there's one listening um, by way of video this morning, or maybe they just caught this video later in the day, and they've never put their trust in Jesus for the salvation of their souls, I pray that you would move them to conviction. Conviction is a good thing. It's a gift because it, it draws us closer to you. So, Lord, I pray that, um, Lord, that you would save this morning. And then for many more of us, Lord, that, that hear this and we would say that we are believers, that we've placed our trust in Jesus for salvation, would you reorient our hearts and minds to worship you as you deserve? Or would you, would you crush the idols and the things that we worship in place of you? Would you uh, restore uh, yourself as the primary object of our worship? Would you, um, Lord, would you... Help us to worship you as you deserve for for what you're doing in our lives here and now in this moment. Lord, help us to see what you're doing, that we might be driven to worship you more fully. And then I pray that our worship would not be something that just stays kind of within us, but that it would overflow to the world around us. So we love you. um, We praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.